Welcome to the Future of Customer Service Podcast. I'm Andrea Paulton from Inventa, and I will be interviewing customer support and service professionals to see what is currently working well, what issues they're trying to overcome, and the future success of customer service. Today we have Joe Clancy from GlaxoSmithKline. He's the Senior Director of GSK's Customer Response Center. Thank you, Joe, for being here. I really appreciate it. Joe, what is it exactly that a Senior Director of the Customer Response Center does? Well, it's nice to be here, Andrew. Thank you. Um, Predominantly, we sit on the front line of customer service for our U.S. affiliated for GSK, meaning uh, we take questions from the general public, patients, and uh, physician and healthcare practitioners uh, that they have with our prescription and vaccine products. Awesome. And it's important to um, let our listeners know that this interview is for you, Joe. I'm interviewing you. I'm not interviewing the company. And this is your opinion and personal opinion only. Correct. I am, I'm representing myself and not my company and all the opinions that I'll offer today are expressly my own. Awesome. And that's really why we have you here, right? You have um, the experience, you are a senior director now and you have been around the block. So I want to know from you and your opinions anyways, because that's what we're really, really interested in because you're a thought leader in your field. So let's get started. All right, let's do it. What have you done to promote great customer service in your current organization? So I've been in with GSK for 20 years, the last four of which have been in in a customer service role. Um, And I think when I first came into a role like this, for me, it was about positioning the team and um, how the team was being viewed by the broader organization. And so I spent a lot of time really making sure that the team was positioned appropriately um, as I engaged with stakeholders across the organization. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, my elevator pitch for, for the center was more of a visual than, than a short pithy statement. Um, but I always like to tell people that the agents that work in the center stand on the front porch of GSK and greet um, all the patients and uh, healthcare practitioners um, that have a need or a problem that my team can help resolve. And so um, ensuring that my colleagues and stakeholders know that um, Many times it's a one-off interaction with that function, and that's the only interaction that they're going to have with GSK. And so um, how they feel about the company in general is made or broken um, in that one interaction they have with our agents and uh, really ensuring that the reputation of GSK stands um, between our agents and and that patient. And so uh, making sure the value that my team is creating for the company beyond just sort of executing our day-to-day role. Um, I think the other thing that I've I've tried to do is elevate the voice of the patient. You know, we don't sell chocolates. We don't sell other things. We, We really are in the business of living GSK's mission, which is helping people do more, feel better, live longer. And we have an opportunity um, to really change the lives of, of patients. And you know, a lot of times people are calling in with, with problems, but we do hear from patients where um, a GSK medicine or our vaccine has truly transformed their life. Um, and in some cases helps them live uh, longer. And so uh, we instituted a program where we captured that voice of the patient 
in testimonials and shared that with the broader organization. I view my job not just as providing a service to the, the patients, but also providing inspiration to the larger GSK organization. So the program we have gets consent from the patient if we, if our agents um, hear a story that would be sort of inspirational and meaningful to share with the broader organization, they get that consent from the patient and then we're able to share that audio file uh, more broadly within the company. And we've actually just started with um, uh, brand ambassadors. So some patients are so enthusiastic about what our medicines have done for them that they want to speak on behalf of the company. And so um, we can take an additional consent and capture those people that, that have called us and um, shared their story and can turn that into an opportunity to have them share it with, with people that are like them. So uh, that program has been, uh, I think, fairly successful. We, we've gone all the way up to our CEO and played those testimonials at, at her meetings. Um, we've done it at national sales meetings down to a local district sales meeting or an internal departmental meeting. It's just about getting um, why we get out of bed every day as a company and employees in the company and getting that inspiration to the folks that may not be sitting on the, the front line of, of patient engagement like my agents do. And I think to that end, um, I also stress to um, my managers, the, the all employees in the department, including agents, is to be visible. Um, the single best uh, public speaker I've ever come across in my tenure has been an agent within the center. And um, he shared one of his stories about a patient interaction at the, what we have, we have a senior leader forum um, every year within the US. And um, he kicked off that session um, just to provide that inspiration about a patient not having their, their best day, but while he has to show up having his best day every day because he's trying to, to help that patient uh, deal with whatever situation they have. And it was really inspirational. And I think if you can connect sort of your people and their passion with that inspiration and getting visible in the organization, I think that goes a long way to providing dividends and showing the value um, that the team has um, in that. And then I think the final thought I have on that is, is how do you demonstrate your value just beyond sort of what you do day in and day out? Where are you making the connections of where customer service intersects uh, with your marketing teams, um, with your data analytics teams, with folks that are looking for forecasting? And how do we get sort of the, the treasure trove of information that we can collect in a contact center um, into the hands of people that can analyze it, uh, make you use of it and, and make better decisions and hopefully better medicines based on, on that information that we're collecting every day. That is such great practice. A lot of times, you know, you have really the golden nuggets. They sit in the customer um, contact centers and those departments with testimonials and with patients or customers that um, their, their pain points and their needs and also their wins. And a lot of times it's got, it stays there. So I love that you share it with other teams and departments and you learn from it too, because um, I, I think that is so valuable. And again, it's lost in other organizations. So that's great that you do that. We, we try to, we, we definitely try to get sort of that, that out. I, I think it's, you know, we do, and we spend a lot of time on market research when we're getting in the launch phase of a product to get that voice of patient. Um, and even post authorization, when we get approval from the FDA, we're continuing to, to do surveillance in the marketplace to understand how the patients are using it. 
Um, but you, you, you have a treasure trove of market research-like data within the contact center, and it's just about finding the, the voice of that and being and having the tools and, and systems in place that you can actually harness that power because you're dealing with a lot of structured as well as unstructured data, and you have to make use of that, and that's not been easy for us. I'm sure it's, not, it's a challenge for most organizations trying to tap into that data. Yeah. And on a personal note, you had mentioned that you've been in this on this team or in this department for four years. What did you do before that? Uh, I like to tell people uh, I'm a failed scientist on some level. So I started out in the R&D side of it. Um, that's my background by training in public health. Um, I, I spent uh, my first five years at GSK in, in our R&D organization, moved over to the corporate side, did a lot of ethics and compliance, as well as uh, generalized risk management. And um, I've always tried to not have myself typecast or defined in one method. And so when I start in, you're the compliance guy or uh, you're the risk manager, I try to change my, my, my career and MO up just so that I can keep growing and learning and sort of add value where I think I can to the organization. Oh, that's fantastic. And I think that makes you better in your role too, because you've seen different sides of the organization and what you do. So that's cool. Let me ask you the next question. We, sure. everybody struggles with resources, right? You hear this from companies all the time, especially in 2020 and now going over into 2021, we're still hearing that we have limited bandwidth, limited people, don't know what to do with all that. If, or is your organization going through the same thing? And if so, how are you managing that lack of time or resources in, um, in, on your team? Yeah, I, I, I would be surprised if folks said they weren't struggling with that in some capacity. And, and I would say that's sort of a constant almost every year. There's you know hard challenges looking at budget and where we're going to place our bets. Um, but we did have new leadership within the U.S. affiliate this year. And um, those questions that come with the change in leadership are being asked, where are we putting our money? Where are our budgets? Um, as a contact center, we do have some high, you know, budget line items um, in terms of our outsourced uh, partnerships that we do have. Um, so, yeah, that's it's true for us um, in 2021, as it was true in 2020. And, and COVID has sort of uh, not we haven't been impacted as maybe others within our, our company that also operate contact centers. Um, but we did see some knock on effects from just uh, company performance. And um, trying to look through what we do with that, I, I think uh, there are a number of things that we've tried to do that I think are outside of a COVID or pandemic year that I, I would recommend to others in every year. And one is always understand who you're trying to sell your value to, making sure you have a good value proposition um, and that you can demonstrate the, the value you bring to the organization. And that goes back to the positioning statement that I was mentioning previously. Um, I also think um, one thing that I did when I first started was also trying to economize um, the contacts out. So what is the ROI for, for a, a contact center? How much is the cost to field a, a single phone call, a single chat, um, and then quantify that to the value that each one of those contacts creates for the company? And so we sat down with our forecasting team. Uh, we have a customer insights team and try to really look at that. And I wouldn't call it fuzzy math, but I also wasn't hard economics. It's not a perfect science there, but we did our best to make sort of reasonable assumptions about um, the puts and takes in managing a contact center and derive sort of a, a single contact value um, that we've used to sort of demonstrate sort of value before we put our bets. And 
I think that has helped us tremendously when we think about our systems and investment in the infrastructure to maintain a contact center. Um, and, you know, we're one country out of many in a multinational healthcare company. So uh, the systems we use are typically globalized and there has to be a ruthless prioritization of, of where the, the support goes to. Um, but if you can really sort of like quantify the value, a change that you have in your systems and, and you can sort of follow that through to the impact that will have on the organization and put a dollar amount associated with that, that goes a long way to, for people to realize the upfront cost, perhaps to invest in a new technology, a new team, or a new way of doing business. And so um, having sort of a quantifiable number that we use um, to Propose change requests, budget changes has really helped me when I, I go to senior leaders who um, really focus um, on the puts and takes and have to make tough decisions on where to place their budget. Um, I think it also helps working for a company that um, shares my philosophy that customer service is not a commodity. Um, my personal philosophy says, you know, if I ever got to a place um, where that was true, I would probably leave that, that organization because I think if you just look at customer service as a, a cost center or the bottom line, um, I think you'll, you'll lose something from your, your brand, your service. Um, I think that's all knocked on. There's plenty of papers out there that demonstrate the power and the value of customer service to a company. Um, and so really making sure that the company buys into customer service as a true value generator and not just as a cost center and a line item, because we're not in the sales side of our business. We, we don't do sales. We are a service organization, um, but I've tried hard to, to sort of push back against the idea that, that we're just a line item cost center, that we do actually return value to the company. Um, the other, a couple of other thoughts that I have is, uh, making sure you're finding allies, right? Uh, you have to have, keep your head up in the organization, see where sort of trends are in terms of where the company is investing in um, systems and technologies and where those intersections occur with your customer service organizations and really hitching your wagon at times to those organizations where you can have a win-win value. And the one example that comes to my mind is uh, our digital marketing and digital analytics team. There's a big push at, at GSK to really get voice of customer data, the, the insights that we were talking about and coming up with the use case that, that my channel can plug into maybe other channels uh, where voice of customer is gleaned. Um, but if they're pushing that agenda and I know that there's budget items, you know, reaching out to those leaders in those organizations with my use case of how I can help benefit their objectives while also fostering my own and creating um, sort of that win-win scenario. And then finally, it's, it's just looking at all the different aspects, creative contracting last year to save ourselves some money. Um, we moved from a time and materials type contracting process with our third party outsource provider um, to a more of a performance-based managed services model and extended that for a few years to really achieve that cost savings that comes with having um, them getting better each year. And so uh, looking at creative ways that you can structure contracts, looking at the, the how you wanna operate your business is offshoring, onshoring, is outsourcing, insourcing the right model and picking which ones um, that you can do. I know like if offshoring isn't attractive from a financial perspective, but I do know in COVID, it's created a lot of problems for companies um, where in those markets that don't have the infrastructure, 
um, if there's a, a stay at home event and people have to go in the office because that's reliable internet. And so those challenges I know do creep up. We fortunately did not have that. We're hundred percent onshored here and we have a hybrid mix between in-sourced and outsourced trying to sort of uh, leverage um, and, and risk as a risk manager. So try to hedge our bets and make sure that we're not over leveraged in one space or another to, to weather um, storms. Although I think the pandemic was probably exceeded anybody's expectation in terms of the impact that it, that it has. Um, and then the final thought I would have is, um, you know, you have to learn is ruthless prioritization is, is, having to coach my team to say no to good ideas so that we can fully exploit the great ideas. And that's not always an easy message to tell your teams who are looking to, to sort of drive the business and unlock and, and I might be seeing it from a different way. And while I think in normal times it might be good, but if I have to make trade-off decisions, I might have to tell them, hey, we're gonna have to put that on the back burner so that we can deliver whatever the major objective is. And I think at times that can be tough conversation, but it's absolutely needed if you don't have unlimited funds. Yeah, you're dropping so many nuggets. This is great. I, the listeners are gonna love this. So I okay. wanna change subjects a little bit. I'm gonna talk about artificial intelligence and, and this is totally a you, your personal opinion here. Um, how do you think artificial intelligence is gonna change customer service? I can think of three ways that top of mind, I'm sure there's gonna be hundreds of ways that um, uh, will eventually be realized, but I'll say in the near term, I, I think uh, the first big way is, is that big data and, and capturing the insights. So uh, really looking at um, bringing the insights to sort of the, all of the channels that, that a company has and in a customer service organization, that's like looking at our phone calls, our survey data, our chat data, our social media data, um, any channel where we collect information, overlaying that with um, agent provided information, like how they classify um, a call or a contact into our CRM platform, bringing those together and, and providing sentiment analysis on top of that to identify those pain points within the organization. So really uncovering those nuggets that might help our agents perform better, but also um, that may help our marketing teams uncover uh, something about our products that is suboptimal and they could iterate to make a better messaging, a better product. Um, and so really making sure that um, we're uncovering all of those insights, a lot of times may not be readily obvious and having artificial intelligence can make those connections um, across structured data, unstructured data that your best data analyst that is using more analog methods just can't uncover. I have a vision um, in the next five years that my agents will have real time AI sitting next to them to help them be better agents. I don't, I don't now see a, a scenario where the, the AI is doing the job of the agents, but I'll get to that in my third point. But I, I think um, having the agents be better at their roles, I think AI can absolutely unlock additional value for those agents. And really when we're trying to orchestrate those moments that matter in a patient's journey on a GSK medicine or vaccine, um, if you had AI that was analyzing a phone call in real time and a sentiment and was offering suggestions to the agent of, if you took this action now, that would um, really help sort of the profile that they've built, that the machine has built up over sort of similar conversations that we've had in the past. And, and so that 
that is a really promising area for me that, that I think we have to move into is, is unlocking the power of AI to make our agents better and really equipping them to, to pinpoint that moment that matters when they, when they come into a patient's life to really try to help them get on a GSK medicine, stay on a GSK medicine, or any of the sort of ancillary feelings that, that, that are around when you're dealing with a, a health problem. Um, so I, I think it's from an organizational perspective, I think it's personalization at the agent one-to-one -one level. And then I think there is a big uh, factor around um, easing the burden of your live agents. It goes back to the budgetary question. Um, so if, if for us, we had a lot of repetitive sort of non-live channels in our chat, um, for instance, where we want to be able to remove some of the burden on our live agents, and get some more of the transactional ones. If you have you know, a, a chatbot that's enabled with AI that can handle some of those transactional ones, um, I think that really does add value to the organization. And we turned on an AI powered chatbot last year um, with the idea of, of you know, deflection is a four letter word in customer service, but it's really for me, it's self-service for the patients. Um, it's meeting the patient or the customer where they're at at the time. We're not a 24 seven, contact center on all of our teams, um, but patient may have a, a question that they want an answer when we're not open. And if you have an AI powered chatbot that's robust, well, that's now a convenience, which is part of our, our mission and our vision. So if we can give that easy, exceptional, convenient experience for um, our customers, then I think that's a win in that. And it also has the ancillary benefit of not overburdening our live agents. So we keep it on when we're open, and that's the first go with um, somebody chatting with us. And if it's not successful, then we get you to a live agent as quickly as possible so that we can keep the experience hopefully seamless for the end user. Great, great. I have one last question for you. And I know you've already been giving okay. out really, really good advice, um, but I now want, really want you to think about the number one. So just one advice, one piece of advice that you have for customer service departments for success. Don't trust anybody giving you one piece of advice for <laughs> customer service improvements. Because um, I, I think, I think I'm, I'm a devil's in the detail type of person. And I think that matters based on the myriad of folks that you, we service every day. And you have to be adaptable um, and diverse and inclusive in everything that you do. And so um, paying attention to those details matters and, and paying attention to how your employees do matters. Um, so... Um, I, I would say focus on the employees um, and, and making sure their needs are catered. I have a saying that if you have uh, holes, H-O-L-E, in yourself, you can't bring your whole W-H-O-L-E self to your job. And that, that is reflective in, uh, I think it comes across to our customers and our patients. And so um, I spend a lot of time making sure our agents are engaged and we have various internal surveys to, to, to validate that. And we have development programs for our agents. Um, we make sure that they're empowered so that they have decision rights that they can take action should they need based on a conversation. Um, and, and they're happy at the end of the day. It's a tough job. It's, it's a job that I couldn't do personally. Um, and, and recognizing that burnout is a real thing for this role and trying to make sure that you're taking care of your employees. I believe that you know if you can get that right and those lead measures, all the lag measures like CSAT, NPS, 
service factor will will fall into line, right? So so I've taken a long view with customer service. It doesn't happen overnight, but um, trying to listen to the employees and my job is truly like getting barriers out of their way so that I can make their job as easy as possible because that will flow down the line to our customers at the end of the day. So focus on your employees and your agents would be my one piece of advice if I had to give it. Yes. And that was great. I, I like the whole whole too. That is a really good way to think about that. Joe, I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. This podcast was brought to you by Inventa. Inventa Symbolic AI implements natural language processing that requires no training data with Inventa's extensive lexicon and patented algorithms. Check out this robust customer interaction platform for your AI needs, from chatbots to search to knowledge centers and messenger platforms. Just go to our website to request a demo at inventa.com. That's I-N-B-E-N-T-A dot com. And if you liked what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. Thank you.